So it's another lovely time on the Value Nigeria podcast. Um, how has everyone's week been? Thank you very much for joining us, joining us week on week, even to listen to the contents that we share. Um, we've had the tradition of bringing great guests um, that are very knowledgeable about investing, very experienced in investing as well. And they usually share nuggets and that help the retail investors um, to build strategy, to um, get better returns in their investment. And this week is no different. I have a wonderful guest and I'm going to be sharing a couple of things about my guest. <laughs> I'm not going to let the cat out of the bag until, until when I need to. Um, my guest this week on the podcast is a finance professional. He's a CFA charter holder, which obviously means he knows his onions very, very much. Um, my guest describes himself as being an ardent student of finance, strategy, and entrepreneurship. And he's had well over almost a decade um, in finance matters, in corporate matters, mergers and acquisitions, corporate strategies, as we'll, as we'll get to see uh, or hear, even as we go ahead in the podcast or in the discussion this evening. Uh, my guest holds a BSc from the University of Benin. Um, he's going to tell us much more about that, where he studied accountancy. And he's also had um, exposure to international schools like the Columbia Business School, which is definitely something we should talk about. And um, I'm definitely going to mispronounce this one. It's the WHU Otto Beisham He'll correct me, don't worry. Um, School of Management, and I believe that's in Germany. <laughs> My guest is very vastly experienced. He's worked in one of the big fours, both locally in Nigeria and even internationally. And he presently works with Binance, which is like one of the huge um, crypto or the huge, um, well, we'll talk about that at some point, uh, firms at present. My guest is no other person than Mr. Nosakari Ugiagbe. Um, good evening, Mr. Nosakari. Um, good to have you on the show, sir. Good evening, and it's a pleasure to be on, on the podcast, and um, thank you for having me. Perfect, perfect. Um, so where do we start from? There's quite a whole lot to unpack. Uh, first, let me let me start from two things I've definitely learned from you. I've definitely learned from you. Um, the first of them is the decision to actually start this podcast um, was born out of listening to your own podcast that I'd listened to. Um, I, I can say I'd listened to, I've listened to every episode you have put out and it's, it was very informative. And I just said, come, if this gentleman can be doing this, I'm definitely going to head out. And I started, it was very crappy in the beginning, but <laughs> we've been able to grow gradually. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, that's awesome. I, I, I think that, that's good to know and quite flattering to be honest. And um, on being crappy, I can tell you for free that when I listen to my, I, I mean, when people talk about my podcast and they play it in front of me, and then I hear myself speak, I'm like, wow, who is that? Please stop it, right? Still sounds crappy to me, right? So, um, but I, I think um, that's just a trick that our mind plays on us, right? As long as adding value to people and, um, you know, it's it's always an interesting thing to do. And the process of preparing for the podcast actually also helps you learn some of the topics even better. Yeah, so absolutely. It's, it's, it's... absolutely. Um, preparing for the podcast helps you put your thoughts into words and 
that builds your knowledge further. And definitely, I, I certainly agree with you on that. Exactly. Yeah. The second thing I learned from you is I remember an episode that you had where you had started the conversation with the guests and forgot to hit the record button. You literally <laughs> had to restart the conversation. So due to yeah. that, I'm always very paranoid. So that the record button is one of the first things I hit when <laughs> when I ring or start any conversation. So yes, the record button is on and I'm certain we are recording this. <laughs> Awesome, that's good. So I think the most valuable lesson from that experience was that when you have a conversation first time with someone, right, unscripted, you usually end up with a much more exciting, much more, um, what's the word, authentic um, conversation. Because the conversation we had the first time before I tried to record, it was smooth, it, it flowed so perfectly. That when we started to talk about the topics again, it was just nowhere near as, as nice as the first one. So, so what what I eventually put out on on, on my podcast was a lot um, Less weaker than yeah. the yeah than the initial conversation. All right, perfect. So lesson learned: record button on. Okay. Um, <laughs> so if you don't mind, you mind just sharing a few tidbits about your career so far your you know professional history personal background and maybe your educational background yeah awesome um, we'll do um, i think you, you talked about everything already <laughs> so i'll just maybe um, provide clarity where it's needed um so i studied accounting at the university of benin um i graduated in 2011 and afterwards i wanted to do a master's degree uh, and um, during that time, during my NYC, first of all, I started to take exams to become a chartered accountant. Um, so I did the ICANN exams and after ICANN, so after I became a chartered accountant, after I passed the exams, I decided to go for a master's degree. I didn't want to work. Um, until I saw, I went back and then I saw the way some of my lecturers so still University of Business. I saw the way some of my lecturers were living. I saw um, the way they talked, the mindset that some of them had. And I also started to watch Suits. Suits is a famous um, yeah. TV show. Um, yeah. So I also started to watch Suits and see the way some of those guys talked and how some of the things they did um, impacted, you know, or had real life consequences. Right, they could save or kill companies. They could help companies merge, and, and so that was a real eye opener for me. Like, like people were actually out there doing real things, changing the world. And and this is not, um, I'm, I'm not um, disrespecting academics or, or anything, um, but it, it it just felt like a more exciting world. So I dropped out of um, my master's program at Uniben to join EY. Um, at EY. I started out in international tax. Um, basically, I helped um, companies pay the correct amount of taxes. I worked on cross-border transactions. So if you were setting up a company or having some kind of operations in Nigeria or West Africa and needed to make sure um, you paid the correct amount of taxes or you did not do certain things that would then increase your tax obligations or put you in a wrong tax bracket as an organization, um, we would help you know, do the structuring of the transaction or of the group 
would help you find which um, country to make the investments through, for example, making your investments through uh, France versus some other European country because Nigeria has a tax treaty with, you know, um, France. You know. So some of, some of these things um, were a part of what I did during the first two years of my career. Um, it involved a lot of legal um, knowledge. So I worked, my manager was a lawyer. So I worked with, uh, with a lot of lawyers, um, had to learn a lot of tax laws, learn a lot of sections from the Companies and Allied Matters Act, CAMA, and had very little to do with accounting, which I studied. Um, so after about two years, I figured that while tax was interesting, the peak of my career as a tax professional would be to become um, a tax partner at a big four firm or to become head of tax at some other firm. And I decided um, I wanted something less restrictive. So I, I decided to move to corporate finance and M&A also within EY. Um, during that time, I started my CFA. Um, I started taking CFA exams. And um, so I got a move. There was a lot of um, drama between <laughs> when I decided to move and when the move eventually happened. And even after the move happened, there was a lot of drama that I wouldn't get into now, so I, would, I don't waste time. Um, but about seven months after I, I moved to corporate finance and M&A within EY, um, I got an offer to join the EY office in Germany. So I moved to Germany in 2017, working also in the M&A team. Um, um, in Nigeria, a lot of the M&A projects I worked on were for financial services um, organizations. But in Germany, I, by virtue of being in Germany and in Stuttgart, the home of Mercedes-Benz, Porsche, Bosch, and the like, I, I sort of switched to a different industry, working on um, automotive industries, um, advanced manufacturing companies, and, and the like. But so far, it's been... Um, or it was also in, in, in the same um, M&A corporate finance role. Um, so I spent about five years at EY in Germany, eight years at EY in total, before I moved to, to Binance. Um, during all of this, I also did an MBA um, at WHU, um, also Bysheim School of Management, so <laughs> yes, I remember your pronunciation. Yeah, I mothered it, unfortunately. <laughs> no, 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 it's 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 pretty pretty good as well. <laughs> not not as bad as the way I pronounced it the first time I saw it. So it's it's <laughs> yeah, it's it's supposed to be one of Germany's uh, top MBA programs. Um, and um, uh, as a part of that program, we had like an international module at Columbia Business School. So that's why I, I, I spent like uh, a summer, um, um, I did a summer course as a part of my MBA program um, at Columbia Business School. And I'm also a CFE charter holder, as you mentioned. And currently I work for um, a crypto or a blockchain company. And um, that's pretty much it. <laughs> All right, perfect, perfect. And and can I assume that the, the Binance Binance that you presently work for is it still in Germany or is it now is it based outside of Germany? Um, I work for the central team. Okay. 
So I, I work in corporate financial strategy. Um, but yeah, I, I'm I'm not working in, in with with the German team. I, I work. Um, I have a central role, and I help you know with basically the same thing that I have been doing um, for most of my career: corporate financial strategy, helping get things done, basically. Okay. Okay. Um, I, I was going to ask. Um, the reason I brought Germany into the matter is we are doing this recording on the twenty third of November, and uh, about twelve um, hours ago, Japan spanked Germany in the World Present World Cup two <laughs> one. And I just wanted to get a feel of what the streets of uh, Germany or the streets of Stuttgart, um, how are the bars looking, are people drinking, or what, what's the feel like? Um, unfortunately. I, I work remotely, so I'm working from home. I haven't stepped out today, uh, but I would imagine that um, the people aren't as pleased <laughs> as the Japanese will be right now. Sure, sure, <laughs> sure. All right, perfect. Let, 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 just dive right, right into probably much more serious things. Um, so now you've seen the world of finance. You, you've seen it from the Nigerian perspective. You've seen it from the European perspective or the foreign perspective. Has anything changed about your view on investing on or finance or life in general with exposure with um you know seeing things from this different perspective um that's an interesting question <laughs> change I would say I am more open to risk, but I don't think that as a result of my of of any shift in worldview. I think it's more as a result of um, the fact that if I lose 5,000 euros right now, I wouldn't you know, get a heart attack compared to maybe eight years ago. If I had lost 5,000 euros, then that's it. I'll just start crying on the street. So, um, so that, that, that means that I'm more open to taking some kinds of um, risk or bets. As a matter of fact, the reason I don't have life-changing money today is because... <laughs> Um, I didn't have life-changing money in the first place. So you need money to make serious money. Um, I'll give an example. I've always had a view, a very strong view that Tesla was overvalued. Uh, the entire market was overvalued anyway, but Tesla in particular was overvalued. There's no way Tesla should be worth um, more than the next 10 biggest automotive companies in the world, right? And I had I bought like a short um, security, so I shorted Tesla, which was basically betting that the price would go down, and if the price went down, I would gain some cash. But because, first of all, I still I'm not rich, I'm not wealthy, so I I <laughs> I did not want to risk too much of the little cash I had been able to save up or accumulate, and I did not have you know, a very large portfolio. So I was basically risking my, I was, you know, so, so, so I was risking everything, mm. right? And as a traditional finance person, it doesn't make sense to risk everything. <laughs> so I, I didn't stay in that short position for long enough to, and I, I couldn't apply enough leverage to make life-changing money, even if my conviction was rock solid. So, so I, I think what, to summarize, you need money 
to make money. You need you need you need value. You need to have some value first of all to get more, more value. It's it's a strange principle, but it's it's one that I've learned recently. You need you need value to 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 create or make more value to attract more value. Thank thank you very much for sharing that. Thank you very much for sharing that. Um, that kind of tallies very much. I'm not quite sure who who said this quote. But the quote goes as saying that, you know, the market can remain irrational longer than you can remain solvent. So the, the, the fact that you one's conviction is correct, one, the fact that one's thesis is 100% accurate does not mean the market cannot decide to go the other way or, you know, one might not have the exactly. patience or, you know, to make the most of such exactly. situations when they come. All right, perfect, perfect. Exactly, exactly. And on that, actually, I lost... Um, um, how much was it? A shitload of money. Um, not not enough to get a heart attack, but I, I lost some money in summer trading of crude oil. Um, <laughs> um, the, I think oil prices were around 103. And I knew that there was no way in hell that oil price would remain 103. So I pumped a lot of cash in. I, I bought... Um, uh, so it was basically a short security as well, basically saying if oil prices go down again, right? And then that, that it um, got a lot of leverage. And I can't remember something. Something happened. I think Saudi Arabia decided to increase production or something, and the markets <laughs> reacted in the wrong way. And oil prices. I can't remember exactly what happened. Oil prices went even higher yeah. <laughs> rather than going down. I mean, today they are like at 80 or something yeah, from yeah, 100 and something. Yeah, so the market can indeed decide to remain irrational longer than you can stay solvent. We'll come into some, like some of your views or your, your views about investing shortly. Um, however, before yeah. we do, I just want to discuss something that might be a little bit painful for you or the experience was somewhat painful or difficult or might have been painful or difficult for you. But just trying to see what lessons we can learn from that or you have learned from that and that's your experience with the cfa exams um it's an exam that um a, a lot of people struggle with the pass rate is probably like 20 percent or 25 percent thereabout uh, and you you sort of breeze through the level one and level two and you know a, a little bit of this difficulties with level three Eventually, you you persisted through, and you're able to, you know, scale scale over that hurdle. What were your biggest lessons from this experience, and what was passing through this like for you? Um, I, I think my big my biggest lesson from CFA um process was that you need to play the game. Right, you you need to play the game. You need to know what the rules of the game are, and play by the rules. Not, I don't know if playing by the rules is the right thing, but you need to at least know what the rules are, right? And I would explain. So I wrote the level three exam three times <laughs> before I finally made it. And that was, um, so I wrote it in 2019. I failed. I wrote it in, uh, I prepared for it in 2020 to take it in summer. Because of COVID, it was postponed. I kept studying to take it in winter. It was postponed again, so twice in 2020. And then I took it in summer 2021 and failed again. 
and finally passed in 2022. So, and, and throughout all of this, it wasn't... So the first time I failed it in 2019, I, I think I was very close to the um, um, top 10% of candidates in the morning session. In the afternoon session, however, I was close to like bottom, <laughs> bottom 10%. And the exams were testing the same, you know, principles, knowledge. The only difference was that um, the format, the way you needed to provide your answers were different. And I did not practice. I went in there thinking, you know, Ninja boy, you know, yeah. um, how I want to be. <laughs> you know, if I study for an exam, there's no way I would fail. And, but I did not study the rules. So, so uh, I, I guess to summarize, you need to prepare. Preparation does not necessarily mean knowing the topics. does not necessarily mean doing the bare minimum, right? People who succeed are people who prepare. You are competing against... Um, you're competing against a lot of people who have perhaps the same level of intelligence, the same um, level of determination. At the end of the day, right, fortune would favor not just those who are brave, but also those who prepare. So as much as I studied well, I thought I knew what I was doing, I did not take the... Um, I was not humble enough to pay attention to the rules of the game. Okay. Th- thank you very much for sharing that experience. I-, I can only imagine how difficult it would have been at that period of time and how much courage it's taken even to share this. Believe me, it's helping me because at some point in the future, it's an exam that I probably intend to write to at some point. But that's even aside, aside the, the question now. Now, uh, bringing the, what you have just said, probably bringing it out from examination, certification, and bringing it into investing, preparation. You've talked about the importance of preparation. How can the average retail investor prepare, like bringing this principle of pre- preparation into his investing practice? Um, firstly, I, I, I think as, a, as an average retail investor, you need to be interested in more than just um, what's popular to the moon. You know, to the moon, um, it's going up. You need to be interested in learning, having some basic knowledge. Otherwise, you will fail woefully. Um, So in terms of preparation, I I think one of the best books I ever read, and and I, I don't say this lightly, I've read a few books. One of the best books I've ever read is a very small book, very small, very old or archaic English. Uh, It's called The Richest Man in Babylon. Very old. I read it maybe 20 years ago. But the lessons were so profound and very basic. Everybody probably knows (laughs) the lessons that were um, taught in the book, but it, it helped me very much. So having some understanding of some concepts, not just in terms of investing, but overall personal finance, mm-hmm. right? That's like one of the best ways you can prepare. Know, know a little bit, be interested beyond the flashy stuff, beyond 
um, gains or making money because if you're attracted to the flashy stuff, you will lose money pretty quickly. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, now, ha- having listened quite a lot to your podcasts and you know read quite a lot of your uh, your articles over the years, I-, I know you have this personal opinion that probably index investing might be a very good way for the average retail investor to go rather than in investing in individual equities in individual companies. Can you share a little bit of some thoughts or just add some color to this? And do you still hold this this opinion, even having gone through all the certifications and MBA, CFA, Charter, do you still think that um, the average retail investor is probably better served by index or ETF investing rather than individual companies? Yeah, so the average uh, retail investor is um, me, you, everyone else who doesn't have a shitload of money and who doesn't have um, access to real-time data research and tools to make real-time, like, very quick executions on trades, right? So with these constraints in mind, um, I still think index investing are an awesome tool for um, the average retail investor. That's not to say they are the most efficient for everyone, but for the average retail investor who doesn't have the sophistication that um, real asset managers have, or the, the wealth range and access that a Warren Buffett has, yeah, index investing helps. Um, it's an effective risk management tool. It makes sure you. Do, it, it first of all is one of the most effective ways to preserve capital, right? And and the reason is simple. If you if you bought into the Tesla hype, for example, you invested in Tesla like six eight months ago. By now, you would have lost. Let me check exactly what it is. Um, so in January, Tesla was trading at three ninety nine. That's in in in, in USD. Yep. Um, that if you don't take into um, consideration the stock split and how that affects prices, but, but in today's terms. Going back to January, Tesla would have been trading at three ninety nine point nine, so that's basically three forty. And today, it's currently at one eighty one. So one eighty one wow. um, versus three. See, so it's lost over fifty percent, right? And if I go to let's say the S and P five hundred, for example, and the S and P five hundred in that same time frame has only lost about 25% or so. So Tesla has lost twice as much as the um, overall (laughs) market. Um, So volatility is just higher for individual stock than it is for um, broad market indexes. I don't need to explain the importance of diversification. I'm sure I would imagine that your listeners have heard about this very, like many times. And I'll give another example. So I hold a stock, or I held a stock in my portfolio, Sensine uh, Health. Sensine Health, it's, it's a um, med tech 
um, platforms. I think they had a lot to do with data and they had like data and analytics for healthcare it's in the UK. And I think when I bought it, I had a gain of like 300%. You know, it was in the middle of the after COVID hype. So after the initial COVID crash, everything went up to the moon. So I had about, you know, about 300%. I gained, um, I think I had like two, five, or less than 4K invested at the time. And so after the initial COVID crash, I imagine a lot of stocks were overvalued yeah. and there was an overreaction. So I bought a lot of individual stocks, um, moving, moving away from my um, ETF message. And I gained, I, I got some good um, results from many of them. But for St. Science Health, at the end of the day, after the market, uh, after all of the hype died down, they had some problems as well. And as of today, I'm down about 12,000 euros on that stock alone, right? Wow. So, and, and, <laughs> and it, it, I think it's been delisted. So it's not a private company. So it basically failed, right? And, and this happens to individual securities. You just don't know which one it will happen to. Yeah. Two years ago, everyone would have said Facebook is indestructible. Yeah. It's in fan, right? So yeah. Facebook is F- Facebook is for sure. You can't go wrong with Facebook. Or um, many years ago, people would have said the same about Enron. Enron is sure. indestructible. Nothing can happen to Enron. Facebook has lost about 75% of its value. Or more. That's a lot worse than Tesla, right? So no individual company is indestructible or um, invincible. And you, as an individual, with your 5K or 10K or 20K, you do not have the knowledge or the resources, tools, technology, information, and experience to successfully tell which companies will be successful for the long run. So, uh, and when you buy individual stocks and you are exposed to the kind of risks that I was faced with on the same sign health stock that I talked about. Um, th- thank you very much for sharing that. Thank you very much for sharing that. Um, I- I'm just going to move away a little bit from equities and uh, fr- from your quote and unquote privileged position being in the center of crypto at present, that's working with Binance and all. What's your reading on the... <laughs> On the crypto industry <laughs> as a whole, um, um, I'm not. <laughs> first of all, I'm not in a privileged position. <laughs> okay, okay. And and um, I'm not in a privileged position. As a matter of fact, as an employee of Binance, I'm not allowed to trade um, on futures or any kinds of derivatives relating to crypto. Um, um, and I'm not allowed to take the opposite position of any position I take within the last I took within the last 90 days so I need to wait until after 90 days to sell a crypto that I bought at any point in time right so, so um, but on, generally on the industry um, yeah it's, it's a terrible um, situation that we are in right now in the sense that people lost money um, due to what's happening with FTX and from what I've seen so far that's mostly as a result of a few bad players 
um, it's it's just fraud, right? And I don't, I, I haven't, I'm, again, I'm not privileged. I don't know um, everything about the industry. As a matter of fact, I joined the industry to learn, right? And I'm still um, in that learning process. My curiosity has not yet been satisfied, so I'm still learning a lot. Um, but I, I, I don't, I, I still haven't found anything that FTX story that relates to crypto. Directly, yeah. It's just, it's just fraud. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? mm-hmm. So I'm talking, so where, at what point did crypto do anything? It's just fraud. People invested in a company in a tax haven and the owners of that company, the founders, misappropriated user funds. That's it. Okay. All right. Perfect. Perfect. And um, focusing a little bit or just looking a little bit at the local Nigerian economy, and that's just because a, a good chunk of listeners are domiciled in Nigeria. Um, what are your thoughts about the Nigerian situation? Like, no country grows above its GDP. GDP went down during COVID. It seems to be sluggishly going up at present. What do we... What do we need to do to get the business environment right for growth, for businesses, and for investing generally in Nigeria? Okay, um, I've been disconnected from um, <laughs> that market for a while. I think I've been screaming short Nigeria since 2017, 2018. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll try to answer this, okay. but I may not be as current as you would like me to. Um, what you need to do to improve economic activities, to improve investment in your country are textbook solutions that have been written in economics and finance books for ages, right? And they include, for example, um, improving the rights property rights, basically, improving property rights, not having a situation whereby the government can wake up one morning and confiscate assets, nationalize, um, you know, what they like, or some governor in a in, 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 in the south-south part of the country can wake up one morning and demolish an entire hotel, an entire business, simply because they flouted COVID rules. No penalties, no fines, not, you know, demolish the entire hotel business. So that, that sends all kinds of signals. It means you do not obey the rule of law because if that happens in any same country, you will sue the hell out of the government and you will get paid. But that won't happen in Nigeria. So that, that's one. Um, the second thing is investment in education and technology. And we have some of the highest rates of out-of-school children in the world. Um, so we sh- need to invest in education. And when I say invest in education, I don't mean that all of us should become engineers and doctors and pharmacists. No. Um, we need a basic level of education. We need to invest heavily in primary and secondary education. What happens, everybody, no, we don't need everyone to go to university. So primary, secondary education, and then technical education. China didn't become what it is today by having, you know, um, 
bill, millions and millions of engineers from day one. They do they do have that now, but that's not how they got there. They started by having a large population of people who could do things, who could build stuff, who could just do stuff, right? And um, having a competent workforce who's technical, who can build stuff, would help Nigeria in unimaginable ways. We can't compete with China, um, um, the US, Germany, the UK in terms of technology. So we can't out-innovate these guys. We can't out-innovate them, right? Everyone is a tech bro these days, right? So the, we, we have like two, like a very wide gap. <laughs> Should I call it education inequality? Very educated and very skilled people on the one end and very <laughs> uneducated people on the other end. Two extremes, very large population on both extremes, right? And then the middle, gro- the middle ground is practically non-existent. And, and it, it, it is this middle ground that will help, that will allow companies um, set up factories here because there will be technicians and electricians and mechanics to work in these factories. They won't ask your petroleum or electrical engineers or um, pharmacists or doctors to work in factories. No, it is <laughs> right. So it, it is the teachable labor force who has some technical expertise. But none of this will happen without, first of all, the rule of law. And um, the next thing is opening your economy up. We closed our borders. We banned um, importation of lots and lots and lots of goods. Those things don't help any country. Those things have never helped any country in the world, right? So we need to be more liberal with trade. Unfortunately, opening the economy up without changing the other things that I talked about, like allowing, um, like creating the environment, first of all, that will give foreign investors the confidence that if they disagree with the government, they will not lose their assets overnight. Um, so all of these things go hand in hand. So with this environment, um, with the right environment, if the economy is open, it would allow for goods that can be produced more efficiently outside Nigeria to come into the country, right? And those that can be produced more efficiently in Nigeria, right, will be brought down, will be produced here. We're placing um, embargoes on trade and, and banning importation of goods simply to protect some industries will just allow mediocrity and inefficiency to thrive. Um, so, so some, as, you, as you may have noticed, I'm giving textbook answers, yeah, yeah. right? So, so I'm giving textbook answers because, like I said, I've been far from the country. But um, none of these will happen, right, if we do not start to respect the law and protect um, not, not just life and property now, but also assets, so give, ha- have solid access rights. Uh, to, to be very honest, I've, I've listened to various commentators, had chats with various people, 
and exactly what you have said is basically what everybody is saying. So I, I don't think there's any disconnect as you have well, as you have alluded to. I, I think everything you have said is spot on. And I do hope that someone somewhere is listening and has the will to go ahead and implement a couple of these things. I think as Nigerians, we need to be very angry. We need to, we need to be mad at mediocrity and mediocre shit. Although, like, <laughs> we need to be upset when we see mediocre appointments, when we see unqualified people um, being placed in certain positions that they should not handle because the impact is far-reaching, right? It, it affects everything. I, I don't want to turn your podcast into a ranting platform where I rant about the pain of being a Nigerian, but it's hard, man. So, right. so we, we, need, we need to strive for excellence and put excellent people in charge of things and let give excellent people the, 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 the uh, authority to make decisions and to make change. All right. Um, thank you very much for sharing your thoughts. Um, just so that we don't end on a sad note, uh, <laughs> any thoughts for the average retail investor listening to this? Uh, I know you've, you've talked about, you know, getting the basics right, getting the basics of personal finance right. And once you have that right, you're investing, there'll be no pressure on your investing and you'll probably be able to do it better. Um, do you want to build on this or any last thoughts or any final nuggets that you just want to share with the average retail investor who is listening to you speak today? Um, yes. So basically I would say be patient and um, don't look for too much excitement. So the, the best investment strategies are boring unless you are some hedge fund or asset manager who has a range of tools and you know can change and take positions um, easily at different times, right? Good investment strategies for retail for a retail investor are boring. Excitement is how you lose your wealth. So first of all, have some good understanding and some good knowledge. Um, know why you are doing stuff. Seek advice if you need to, and if if you manage to make up to like a hundred thousand from savings, get professional help. Yes, it will cost you some um, management fees, perhaps, but get professional help. You are a doctor or an engineer or a tech bro or whatever. You are not <laughs> an asset manager, so. You, you wouldn't go to an engineer to check your fever, right? So don't go to medical doctors or engineers or um, teachers or consultants, <laughs> right, to manage your wealth. If you can't, if, if you have the time to learn and I think I think everyone can learn. But if you have the time to learn, to learn, and, and you know, invest the time to learn and to follow these things judiciously and with discipline, by all means, go ahead and do it yourself. But otherwise, when you get to a certain level of wealth, seek help, get someone to manage that, and start to build from there. And yeah, don't look for excitement. Just take it slow. 
I think everyone, most people who made money in 2020, 2021 have lost most of it today. Yeah, absolutely brilliant. If I were to summarize all that, maybe into two sentences or two or three sentences, it will, uh, it, it will be um, hot stocks are usually overvalued and are a recipe to lose your money. Um, the seemingly boring companies or seemingly boring sectors are usually a good hunting ground where you can find bargains and then speak to your investment advisor or your if you seek professional advice as much as you can. So I, I think individual stocks, by nature, by virtue of them being individual stocks yes. on their own, are, um, I mean, they are risky. That's what risk is, right? If it's an individual stock, then you are exposed to all kinds of risk, both market risk as well as risk specific to that company and, and, and so on. And then you are able to diversify the risk that's specific to the company if you invest in a broad market index or an industry, or if you invest in the entire industry, right? Well, one point that I was going to make, I think I've lost, <laughs> I, I lost it, but I, I, I remember something important that I thought I should share when you were speaking. Well, anyway, maybe next time. Well, um, that's it. I like those words. Next time means there's always an avenue for us to reach out and hopefully bring you back to the podcast at some point. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. absolutely. All right, perfect. It's, it's been a real big pleasure having this chat with you. I truly appreciate your time and uh, I do hope you have a lovely week. Please do go out, go to the bars. Um, you might need to console a German tonight who is um, so <laughs> Thank, thank you very much, Adiba. Um, it's been a pleasure speaking with you.